This is Own Your Retirement with Albert Lalonde from Kaizen Financial Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Albert Lalonde provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful strategies to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Own Your Retirement with Albert Lalonde. Hello, and welcome back to Own Your Retirement. My name is Albert Lalonde from Kaizen Financial Group. If you'd like more information about what you hear during our show today, give us a call at 586-752-7008 or visit us online at www.kaizenfinancialgroup.com. And while at my website, click on the podcast page to check out past shows and to subscribe to our program on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Now, market volatility and its ramifications has been a source of financial angst for many Americans, well, since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. And now we have the current situation in Ukraine and the related significant economic sanctions on Russia, adding even more uncertainty to both our economy here at home as well as the global economy. Now, During uncertain economic times, I received plenty of concerned emails and phone calls from my clients asking if their carefully designed retirement strategy is now in jeopardy. In many cases, a robust strategy can often hold up well against economic upheaval, but worrying about your economic future, it's only natural. Now, during this segment, we're going to discuss how you may be able to better handle economic anxiety. But Before we begin addressing our topic, let me introduce my co-host, Tony Shore, who is always a reliable voice of (laughs) calm and reason. Hey, Tony, how you doing, buddy? Oh, Albert, I am great today. I'm doing good. I'm (laughs) excited to be on the show because there's a lot to talk about. And yes, I mean, there's a lot of uh, bad craziness, as I like to call it, going on out there, but but otherwise, I've been good myself, uh, just spending time with family and working hard. How about you? What's going on over there? Uh, same thing. Just working, working, uh, you know, and uh, getting ready for spring. I need spring here. Oh, I think it's time. Yeah, it's, We're getting teased a little bit a few days out of the week with, with nice warm weather. So uh, uh, I'll take it for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think spring is finally almost here. So, uh, <laughs> Almost. Uh, fingers crossed, right? Well, yes. well, you know, uh, on the spring is coming. That's the good news. Uh, but then in other news, our global economy, um, you know, with the war in the Ukraine, which is a, a bad mm-hmm. situation to begin with. I mean, just horrible for those people over there. And, yes. uh, you know, we don't understand why Putin would do something like this, but he is. And it is affecting the global economy and our markets, isn't it? It definitely is. It definitely is, especially in a market today where where it's uh, uh, you know invest investor sentiment. Sure. So we, we get our info so fast, then we react. So yeah, it's emotional investing, and so many people mm-hmm. make financial decisions based on emotions, including people who you know are dealing with the stock market. So, oh, for sure. Uh, the problem is, though, the the average American, we have our 
all our savings are for retirement in, you know, usually they're attached to the market through 401ks and IRAs. So uh, our retirement might be affected by all this and, and market volatility isn't a good thing. People, people get concerned when they start to see the markets uh, going down, don't they? They do. They do. I mean, it's, it's just, con- it's just natural reaction. Uh, no one wants to, uh, remember how the market really works. They just want to remember what it's done for the last couple of years when it's up, yeah. you know, and they, they forget that, you know, it, when there's ups, there's downs. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, coming out of the COVID-19 economic crash, I mean, uh, once and for all only to find ourselves in the middle of a dangerous crisis between Russia and the Ukraine. I mean, the implications of which have real ec- economic consequences for people here. Yeah, you know, a a recent CNN business article, uh, Three Steps for Dealing with Market Volatility, um, has some very uh, relevant and valuable information. Uh, As it notes, the S&P fell by more than 5% in January of this year, um, its worst performance since the earliest days of the pandemic. And conditions remain challenging well into February. Uh, In fact, the article further explains that financial experts predict economic volatility will remain for some time due to inflation, rising interest rates this year, global political upheaval in Ukraine, and continued fallout from the COVID-19. Yeah. I can't imagine there's much out there that would give retirees and pre-retirees stomach pains quite like market volatility, right? (laughs) Right. Well, I I think that's exactly right, Tony. Uh, Yeah. As the article explains, market volatility can sometimes be a positive thing for some long-term investors who stick to dollar cost averaging, uh, which means they regularly contribute to investment accounts over time. Uh, because it potentially allows them to buffer some of their risk by purchasing stocks during both highs and lows, which essentially levels out the returns. Yet CNN further explains that the market's recent performance has some investors nervous about the possibility of a correction that sees the market fall, let's say, by 10% or more from the recent high points. Well, yeah, and the article's headline there mentions three steps to dealing with market volatility. So what's the first one? Well, the first step is moving money you may need in the short term out of the market. As the article explains, that money should be moved to safer investment tools like, let's say, high-yield savings accounts or money market funds. Uh, That money includes important pots like your emergency fund and cash for things like a down payment on a home, a home renovation, or even a wedding. Additionally, the article notes that if you're retired or close to it and you plan to use a portion of your portfolio for everyday costs, you should consider moving at least two years worth of expenses out of the stock market. Wow. Uh, that's good advice. So what's tip number two? Well, the article's second piece of advice is to stick to your plan for longer term investments. You know, during times of economic volatility, it's perfectly natural to become jittery, but you can't allow those feelings to cloud your long term goals. Take a breath and remember what you're saving for. If you're diligently putting money away for retirement that's still years off for, you know, your two-year-old's college education, let's say, don't get knocked off course. As the article makes plain, you still have lots of time for your investments to recover from dips or corrections. Yeah. 
Now, the reason some financial experts urge long-term investors to keep most of their money in a diversified portfolio with a heavy focus on stocks is, according to the article, that volatility and short-term risk may allow for higher returns over time. Ultimately, you must determine for yourself what allocation is in your best interest based on your time frame and risk tolerance. All right. Well, that's a good one, too. Uh, and that brings us to the third tip. What is it? Well, the article's third and final tip is to make sure you have realistic expectations. As the article uh, reminds us, even with the short-term bear market that struck during the beginning of the pandemic, investors have seen record performance in recent years. In fact, the S&P 500 is up nearly 60% during the last three years. Now, CNN goes on to note that it's easy to lose sight of the fact that historically, returns tend to run more in, let's say, the 10% range, and bear markets, which are pullbacks of 20 or more percent, generally occur once every two or three years. Now, in the end, that means anticipating that your investments will continue to perform as they have during the last three years isn't reasonable. Well, yeah, <laughs> good point. Um, you know, I think it, it certainly there's certainly a lot of good insights here. But to me, I think it's also a reminder of the importance of working with somebody like yourself, Albert, a financial services professional. You got it, Tony. Uh, when it comes to your overall financial strategy and more specifically your retirement strategy, the consequences of mistakes are too serious to go it alone. Make sure you have an experienced expert in your corner who can help guide you where you want to go. All right. Well, in that case, how can our listeners get a hold of you, Albert? Well, listeners can visit my website at www.kaizenfinancialgroup.com or call my office at 586-752-7008 to discuss how we might be able to answer your questions and address your concerns about your path to retirement. All right. Thanks for that. And uh, let's keep it going here with Own Your Retirement uh, with our host, Albert Lalonde. I'm your co-host, Tony Shore. Uh, we've had a great show so far today. Uh, you've been looking at some of the ways we can protect our assets and financial strategy from market volatility. And I, I know you wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about Medicare um, in, in a way maybe we haven't before. Definitely, uh, Tony. Uh, you know what? Here, here's what it is. It all comes from a uh, uh, phone call from a client who's uh, also a regular listener of our show. Uh, she called me one afternoon and said, I appreciate your shows on Medicare and you do a good job of telling us what Medicare is. And you also tell us often about some of the ways the program is in trouble. But why don't you do a show on some of the ideas for things that could actually preserve Medicare for the long term? And you know what? I thought to myself, now that's a great idea. So after a little research, I found an outstanding Kiplinger article, Five Fixes That Could Help Save Medicare. That is really uh, eye-opening insights. Wow. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I think this is going to be a great topic because... Uh, Medicare is so important to so many people. Uh, now you've mm -hmm. got me fired up. So what are some of the key <laughs> things uh, that really jumped out at you here? Well, let's start with some of the basics. For many years now, we've all seen plenty of news stories with uh, blaring headlines declaring that Medicare is in big trouble thanks to subpar funding and increasing costs. 
As it currently stands, by 2026, Medicare's trust fund for Part A could run dry. Recall that Part A covers inpatient care at both hospitals and skilled nursing facilities. Part A is funded mainly through a 2.9% payroll tax with employers and employees both kicking in 1.45% with high income earners contributing more. Now, the Congressional Budget Office projects that another $516 billion is needed to cover the program's potential shortfall between 2026 and 2031. Without any action, Medicare has enough revenue to cover about 91% of Part A costs beginning in 2026. Wow. Well, those numbers got my attention. So what does the article say about Parts B and D? Well, Medicare Parts B and D, which cover things like visits to the doctor and prescriptions, respectively, are funded through beneficiary premiums and tax revenue. There's some good news and bad news here. The good is that Part B and D are currently well-funded because their spending is tied to expected yearly expenses. The bad news, however, is that current adequate funding doesn't necessarily mean Parts B and D are on solid economic footing. Part B expenses are rising faster than those for Part A and are even outpacing the overall economy. As we've talked about on previous shows, and the article also makes clear, eventually Congress will need to address Medicare. And in my opinion, address it they will because the program is nothing short of essential for millions of Americans. The only question is how they'll address it. Yeah, there you go. So Medicare needs a little help is what you're saying. What do you think should be done or can be done? Well, you know, the first potential fix is to increase the eligibility age above the current 65. While some members of Congress have advocated for lowering the age to 60 for non-financial policy reasons that we won't get into, uh, the fact of the matter is lowering the age wouldn't help the program's finances. In fact, the article argues that because of changing demographics, there may well be no choice but to raise the eligibility age sooner rather than later. When Medicare became law in 1965, a 65-year-old man was expected to live about another 13 years, and a 65-year-old woman was expected to live an average of another 16 years. Today, those numbers have jumped to 18 years for men and 20 years for women. At the same time, there are currently fewer workers contributing the taxes that support beneficiaries. In 1966, 4.6 workers supported one enrollee, and in 2030, it's expected that 2.3 workers will support one enrollee. Wow. Those numbers aren't good, and I'm, I'm sure for some of our listeners out there, especially people in their late 50s or early 60s, the idea of Medicare eligibility age going up is probably causing some concerns. So <laughs> what are some of the pros and cons? Well, okay. First, the pros. Increasing the eligibility age may go down easier than you think because something similar has happened before. In 1983, Congress increased the full retirement age for Social Security from 65 to 67, spread over a 22-year window that began in 2000. And the Congressional Budget Office predicts that increasing Medicare's eligibility, eligibility age would actually slash billions from the federal deficit. Wow. Wow. What are the cons? Well, the cons are probably pretty obvious. 
First, employers and younger seniors would have to pay for their health care that Medicare previously covered, an expense that would likely be in the billions each year, according to Kippinger. Now, raising the eligibility age could also drive up the out-of-pocket costs for people already on Medicare. Why? Because people first coming into Medicare are younger and healthier than older recipients, but if the eligibility age went up, it would mean a pool made up of more older and sicker people. So, but wouldn't it also be possible, Albert, that an older Medicare eligibility age would leave some people uninsured? Oh, that's a very real possibility, Tony. Uh, According to the Congressional Budget Office, if an older eligibility age had been implemented in 2020, by about 2026, 3.7 million of the people affected by the change, about 5% would be uninsured. Yikes. Uh, That's not good. Uh, let's no. go, let's, let's get back to this topic in a second, but uh, let's take a minute to let our listeners know how they can get a plan in place to deal with all this. I know that you're offering a complimentary, no cost, no obligation consultation, correct? Definitely. If you'd like more information about what you hear during the show, give us a call at 586-752-7008 or vis- visit us online at www.kaizenfinancialgroup.com. Remember, click on the podcast page to check out our previous shows as well. All right. Sounds great. Now, uh, you've been addressing, uh, first, we talked about market volatility, and then mm-hmm. you looked at some of the steps that could potentially make Medicare more stable in the future. Uh, how do you want to wrap up the show today? Well, let's stick with the Kiplinger's article, Five Fixes That Could Help Save Medicare, which next offers up earmarking revenue from an existing tax as a way to potentially make Medicare more viable in the decades to come. Now, Congress could use the unearned income Medicare contribution tax, which is also known as the net investment tax, to directly fund Medicare. The tax was established in 2010 to help pay for the Affordable Care Act, but the money currently goes into a general fund. Now, the biggest pro for this one is simply that it may be easier for Congress to live with it. But the tax currently hits high earners, $200,000 for single filers and $250,000 for joint filers. Now, the 3.8% tax is levied on investment income like dividends. The con here, according to critics, is that it would do little more than shuffle money around without truly addressing how to make Medicare sustainable into the future because unless healthcare costs are addressed, premiums will continue to keep going up. Yeah, good point. And that's where that's where a lot of the problem lies is healthcare costs in general. And and I understand the notion that addressing the the rising costs and especially prescription drug costs, that's essential. They have to do that, right? Yes. You know, modifying advantage payments is the next possible solution though. Medicare Advantage or Part C is money paid to private insurers and medical providers. This program isn't funded separately. It's supported by money from parts A, B, and D. Medicare pays Advantage plans a fixed amount for each enrollee. Some experts, according to the article, argue that the government overpays for Medicare Advantage. Now, one proposal would set Medicare Advantage payments aside for the, uh, I would say, the bid with the second lowest cost. 
Doing so may foster more competition among insurance companies. Now, the biggest potential drawback with this one is that insurance companies are likely to fight tooth and nail to get Congress to stand down on this. Yeah, that's true. Does the article say anything about negotiating prescription drug prices? I've heard a little bit about this, and and I know it's something that spurs a lot of conversation out there. Yeah, you know, as many of of our listeners likely know, current law bars Medicare from negotiating drug prices. The proposed Build Back Better Act, which is still sitting in Congress, would allow Medicare to negotiate prices for a small group of high-cost drugs beginning in 2025 for Part D and 2027 for Part B. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll go through uh, from what I've heard. Uh, But what are some of the potential pros with allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices? Well, you know, while the Build Back Better Act would include negotiating for just 10 drugs at first, that number would jump to 20 in 2028 and beyond. Now, the negotiated drugs would be chosen from a pool of 50 treatments with the highest total spending for each program, which the Congressional Budget Office says would lead to nearly $79 billion in Medicare savings over 10 years. Wow. Sounds pretty good to me. Are there really any cons to allowing Medicare to negotiate drug costs? Uh, There are, Tony. First, Negotiating drug prices doesn't do anything to aid Part A because inpatient care providers are reimbursed for a procedure's entire cost, not each individual service. Additionally, negotiating drug prices likely wouldn't cut costs for some of the most expensive treatments, which are often recently approved drugs. For example, Medicare wouldn't be able to negotiate the roughly uh, $28,000 per patient annual cost of Adelhelm, a physician-administered Alzheimer's treatment that the Federal Drug Administration approved in 2020. Under the proposed legislation, new treatments are exempt from negotiation for between 9 to 13 years, depending on what type of medicine it is. Wow. Okay. So... Uh, That's not helpful there. So my biggest takeaway is that there's likely no magical catch-all situation here uh, for Medicare's long-term viability. It sounds like it's going to take a series of different actions from what you're saying. I think that's totally right, Tony. Uh, In fact, the article's final potential solution is to shift to a defined contribution program. Now, as you might imagine, this is a very controversial idea because it would quite literally transform Medicare as we know it. This new program would be a premium support plan uh, that the federal government would contribute a set amount of money to, uh, I would say, for each beneficiary to spend on the preferred medical insurance. Wow. I can't even imagine the political upheaval of that idea begins to gain traction in Congress. You know, it would certainly be a big change and big changes tend to foster big controversy, but there are some potential pros to going this route. Insurance companies themselves would complete the enrollment process, potentially slashing costs and providing more benefits. Now, original Medicare could also be reconfigured to include a new governing structure that could compete with private insurers to attract enrollees. All right. So we've got some of the pros. Uh, What are some of the cons? Well, the biggest con is that depending on the formula you use, beneficiaries could end up paying more for their care. 
In 2017, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that premiums would be as much as 35% higher in 2024 than projected Part B premiums for that year if payments were linked to the second lowest cost for providing benefits. However, premiums would be about 7% lower if payments were instead based on average cost. Ah, okay. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out. This has been a great show. A lot of great information. Eye-opening, really. Do you have anything else for our listeners before we go today? You know, if you have any questions about Medicare or your financial strategy, I encourage you, go visit my website at www.kaizenfinancialgroup.com or call my office again at 586-752-7008. It's our goal to help you prepare for the retirement you've worked so hard for. All right. Sounds good, Albert. And listeners, that does it for today's episode of Own Your Retirement with our host, Albert Lalonde. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Own Your Retirement. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Albert Lalonde at Kaizen Financial Group. Call 586-752-7008 or visit them online at kaizenfinancialgroup.com. Advisory services offered through Kaizen Wealth Management LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Michigan. Insurance products and services are offered through Kaizen Financial Group LLC, an affiliated company. Albert Lalonde and Kaizen Financial Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.